You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to part two of You Can't Say That. My guest today is Ann Hamburger, and I'm Tanya Pinkins. Ann Bogart, we did this, I did a piece with Ann Bogart at the Towers Nursing Home, which was owned by Ian Schrager, which looked like the Luau Valley. Now it's condos, and she's actually living there, which is kind of funny. But um, it, was an, it was empty, and it was formerly had been a cancer hospital. And we did a piece that Chuck Me wrote called Another Person is a Foreign Country. And it, we literally, Chuck's casting list was like a little person who can fit in a box and um, a little person. And, uh, you know, we ended up getting an emotion, a group of emotionally disturbed rock musicians who took a bus for two hours every night from Long Island to come and be in the show. And we had a blind choir with people every night that would come and sit and sing with their guard dogs. I mean, a phenomenal <sighs> piece of work. And Anne said to me, not that long ago, she said, you know, Annie, I never would have had the courage to do this. But she said, the more intense and crazy it got, you just laughed. <laughs> and she said, having that kind of grace in mm. the face of adversity gave me the courage to move forward. Mm. Um, and I, you know, have a lot of personal courage, I would say. Who's um, given you the grace? Who's that person? Who's your, you, what you were to Annie? Who's done that for you? Well, I think, uh, I think people that were, I think Ann Bogart's been, was a very, very important influence in my life for a long time. I would say also, I, when I was at Yale, I went to um, do my internship at the Brooklyn Academy of Music back when Joe Melillo was the director of the Next Wave Festival. And he's, been a lifelong friend you know I don't think there's like I don't know a lot of it is I thrive off of my creative relationships they give mm -hmm. me strength me too um like a bit of a gypsy you know come together for these projects you fall in love and then you part and you fall in love with the next group of people and it really is almost like a new romantic relationship where you're getting to know people, you mm -hmm. have doubts, you're worried, things take form, things take shape, you increasingly depend on one another, and you then grow and thrive or not, and then it's like giving birth. I mean, the, the first preview of Fandango for Butterflies and Coyotes, I literally felt like I had two and a half years of work, mm. two and a half years of fundraising, 
was like giving birth. And, you know, I think what I've seen is that being an independent producer in the not-for-profit world today is harder than it's ever been, mm. unfortunately. Um, and I thought it was hard in the 80s and 90s, but it's much harder now, actually. I want to talk about this independent producer thing because I think, you know, when we see like the award ceremonies, particularly the Tony now, you see like, you know, 20 people get on stage. And and, and I, I sat down with Hal Prince a year before he died and he was saying one of the reasons he stopped producing was because you had these 20 people who had to get on stage. And he said, you know, when I was producing my shows, it was my name that was up there. I was the producer. I think that, you know, a lot of people run around calling themselves producers and that <laughs> means they put up some money or they made a phone call and they have some relationships. Let's talk about what you do, which we've touched on a little bit, which is you have an idea. And so let's talk about what you do as a producer, because I think a lot of times people don't respect the job of producer because they just think you're just the person who comes in and says no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't have the money. No, you can't have this. No, no, no. But what you're talking about, uh, you are birthing it. You're making it possible for the artist to make this beautiful thing. I, I believe that no means yes. You just have to figure out how to get to it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a creative producer and I'm kind of a hybrid. I have a hybrid brain. So I'm not just a business person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, cre I'm a creative person with business chops. Right. And, you know, like what I think is funny is like I got a degree from Yale in theater management. The one thing I'm not is a theater <laughs> manager. I would suck at managing a theater. But That's you just not what I do. Well, La Loya, no, yeah? I was an artistic, artistic director. director. Okay, director. Okay. And then when I went to Disney, as you know, but I'm not like management is – not my skill set, really. Mm. I mean, I'm glad I went to Yale. I made amazing relationships with people, and I learned some of the the important kind of business constructs that it takes. But I'm always so impatient. I got bored with like, I mean, my contracts was like nails <laughs> on glass for me taking my kind of class, you know. And I'm an inventor and an entrepreneur, you know. So, you know, for me as a producer. Um, job number one, get the right people around the table. So if you don't have the right artists together developing something, you're doomed, right? So mm -hmm. um, I always look at how artists coming around the table can have a shorthand with one another. So if I start with a playwright, then who does that playwright trust and know and love as a director? If I start with a director, we talk about who that person might want to work with as a playwright. You know, if I want to bring a new designer to the table, I make sure that it's not all new designers because I think the strongest work comes out of short artists having some kind of shorthand mm. with one another. Um, I'm actually working as a creative consulting producer on an immersive project called Particle Inc. Mm. That's a commercial piece that's going to be in a five-story building in Midtown um, that's opening um, in the fall, which I'm very excited about because I just get to do what I do and I don't have to raise money. Mm. So I love that. I'm more than life itself, you know. So, um, but, you know, it's about having a vision and then about being a kind of a, a cultivator and an enabler of talent. And and then it's also about being, I think, acutely aware of what's going on out there around you 
because I think there are certain people that start theaters in a particular time and then they keep doing the same thing and society and life fundamentally changes, but they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I came back after I'd been gone for almost 15 years, um, everybody's like, you're just going to do site-specific work again, right? And I was like, no, I don't want to do the same thing I did before, even though that's what I was very well known for in New mm -hmm. York. What does the world need today? Mm. And I always say, when one's in a particularly transitional phase, um, the important things to ask oneself are, who am I, what's needed, and how can I make a difference? <sighs> and so coming back to New York and seeing all the problems that are besetting our society right now, I said, for me, like taking everything I learned from the early years of On Guard Arts, the first 13 years, taking everything I learned from La Jolla and from running a global division for Disney and applying it now, I really want to do work that is about social change, mm. right? So back to answering a question you asked me about 10 minutes ago, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm the inventor of devised work. Devised work is where a group of people come together to write a play collaboratively, right? That's okay. one form of devised work. Another form of devised work, which I am doing a devised piece right now with Layla Buck, who's the head writer, um, called Mix and Match mm -hmm. for 2021 that's about a Lebanese Muslim and an Irish Catholic family coming together for a wedding that we hope to do in a Lebanese restaurant. But mm. we may end, if we can't find one, we may end up in a theater. I know one. Oh, fantastic. I do. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's a devised process where Layla's ultimately writing it, but she's bringing actors in to tell their stories that she can then use in the context of developing the play. But Site-specific work is about finding a location that is a great marriage of the artistic goals of the property um, that you're working with or of the play. It doesn't, and it doesn't have to be literal. It could be metaphorical. Like when we did Orestes, Tina Landau and I were driving around the city looking for a site for it, and we saw this twisted metal pier that jutted out into the Hudson River, and she goes, that's the house of Atreus. Mm. It's like, cool, okay, <laughs> it is. And then I had to convince the Trump organization to give me their property. Um, and um, this and was- how did that, you clearly did, so. I clearly did, it wasn't easy, but yeah, so. Um, What's yeah, that so, about? Like, how do you go convince some organization to let you use what sounds like a very dangerous place? You know, he was like, well, you know, there's nothing out there. There's no lights. There's no sound. There's nothing. And I was like, but that's what we do. <laughs> I mean, there is a funny story that's Tell related us. with that, which is, so the guy who I talked to was a guy named Andy Weiss, who was Trump's executive vice president of the Trump Organization Real Estate. And... And I went there with this powerhouse of a woman named Arlene Simon, who was a big, active, Upper West Side, historic landmarks, take-no-prisoners woman who loved my work. And so she connected me with them. And we went in there together. So um, he was, you know, we had a few meetings. He was reticent, but he was like, well, I guess so. And then he said, you have to build a fence which is actually now very funny in retrospect. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you got to build a wall. You got to build a wall. <laughs> uh, this was like, you know, a long time ago. You got to build a fence. 
because I'm worried that people who attend your show are going to want to jump into the Hudson River. So you have to put a fence up that stops them from jump because he thought like theater rock concerts i'm thinking drunken. imagine like drunken 21 year old boys coming with like six packs right? right he had no idea so i was like oh my god how am i going to do this right so there was a low income housing development very close by to where we were and I went into the courtyard of this low-income housing development and yelled at the top of my lungs, anybody want a job? And I, it, was like, it was like people descended from the buildings, and I was like the Pied Piper bringing them all over. We, we had this orange plastic fencing. We got that fence up four blocks from 60th to 64th Street. We got a fence up. I paid them all in cash. And then when the audience came, they none of them walked in between the two orange things <laughs> except for opening night Andy Weiss came who insisted on the fence and walked in between it of course and everybody else was like all over the place but I think by that time he thought it was too late you know so you know for me listen I mean I've been told no plenty and it's been no right and I've had doors shut on me that I couldn't open but I think the thing I always think about is when someone says no, then I don't just accept no. I say, how can I turn this into a yes? And sometimes that's doing things in unpredictable ways. I mean, when we did Wilderness, which was the show we did in 2016, was a documentary theater piece. And it it told the story of parents who sent their children to wilderness therapy programs. I spent a year and a half interviewing um, kids and their parents on Skype um, who had troubled teens who were suffering from anxiety, depression, bullying, drug addiction. Um, And I co-wrote it with Seth Bokley, a wonderful director based in Minneapolis and a writer. And when we did that show, um, I called up my press agent and said, I think it would be a great idea for the New York Times to do a feature. And I was like, I have an idea. Why don't we ask Scott Heller, who's the editor, if we could bring a theater writer into the wilderness? Mm. And my press agent was like, he'll never do that. And I said, well, let's give it a whirl. And so he got in touch with Scott. Scott said, what's the budget? I said, well, the writer has to take the plane there, but then we're going into the wilderness, so they're sleeping on cow shit and a sleeping bag in the wilderness, so that doesn't cost anything. The wilderness therapy programs are feeding them, so actually it's very cheap. So Laura Collins Hughes comes, and we go up into the wilderness together, and I had to convince the wilderness therapy program she wasn't an investigative reporter. She Mm. was a cultural reporter. And we got a three-quarter page feature in the New York Times. So it's about really kind of thinking out of the box and thinking, Mm. you know, about how you can make things happen and being stubborn and resilient and brushing yourself off when you're disappointed and about things that happen and you keep on going. What else is there to do? Nothing. I agree with you, which makes me think about this thing that I've just been thinking about it lately that, you know, I think a lot of times culture, capitalism, um, negatively brands things that are threats to it. And I was thinking about the fact that I very much feel at the top of my game, at the height of my prowess and power, 
whereas, you know, crone women, I am a proud crone woman. Um, people like to think, oh, she's a crone, she's a forgotten, but I feel like this is it. Like we are not plagued by all those chemicals that make us go belly up for boys. We just have our brains, we have our creativity, we have our power, we have nothing taking our focus away from whatever we want to do, and we go and get it done. What's your take on that? I don't think it's true. What? (laughs) Why isn't it true for you, Annie? (laughs) Because we're mothers. Yeah, well, we are mothers. Um, So, you know, I mean, I I feel fortunate that not only I've had an amazing creative career, but I have a wonderful husband and I tell people, and it's true, that the reason I married him is because he's theater tolerant and he leaves me alone, <laughs> which is true. And I have 22-year-old children who I love and adore more than anything in the world. But, you know, so, you know, we, you and I grew up in a time where it was the birth of women's lib, and it was like, you can have it all, and you should have time for everything. And, you know, you'd see those pictures of a woman in an apron, like, cooking, you know, eggs while reading a book or something ridiculous like that, right? Um, which, you know, so, you know, you can have it all. You know, you, it's bullshit, right? <laughs> I mean, no, you can't have it I mean, all. Can, Not all at the same time. You can, but something's always suffering, right? Something is um, right. But at the same Agreed. time, I feel extremely fortunate that I have a very enriching creative life. I mean, it torments me, but I am enriched by it as well. That I have these incredible kids that I've watched grow and change, that I learn from all the time, and that I have the support of a man who, you know, lets me be who I want to be, doesn't try to make me into something I'm not, doesn't complain that I don't spend enough time with him. Um, he fixes things. He cooks. <laughs> you know, like I walked out today, he's like, the front door lock is broken and it's a code lock. I'm like, can you fix that? You know, because otherwise if I had to do it, I would be like, ah, you know, so... Where's the disagreement? It sounds like life is good, Annie. Yeah, but I was saying, you know, you were saying we are women who don't need men. And I didn't say anything us. about don't need men. What did you say? I said we're at the top of our game, yeah. the height of our prowess. We don't have the chemicals that make us go belly up. Oh, well, there's that. That's a yes. very different that thing. Is true. That is we can true. have men in our lives, but that when you're uh, in that certain age where you can still bear children, you got a whole chemical thing going. That's where like, true. ooh, you that's can't even true. think for the, the chemicals true. flowing through your body. That's true. The magic of <laughs> menopause, right? <laughs> exactly. I think it's pretty magical. Like one of my friends said, it's like spring cleaning, yeah. only it's people. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that, that is a, a freedom that we get yes. that nobody talks about, that when you suddenly don't have that chemical thing going, you just get really clearer. You get clear about decisions, and it's not as clouded by some of the hormonal, emotional things anymore. That is true. Yeah, see? Yeah. We're in agreement. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Now you're writing a book. I am writing a book. How, when, when are we going to see hear this book? Oh, well, I have to send it out to agents. And, okay. Um, I've finished it. I just haven't yet um, sent it out. But um, I'm excited by it because it chronicles my whole career. Um, and what I've talked about, juggling marriage, motherhood, art. Um, right now the title of it is Balls of Steel Slightly Dented. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. Balls of Steel Slightly Dented. Yes. I like it. Yes. And I came up with that title because, you know, the thing we didn't really talk about, but I did spend almost a decade out of New York running a founding and running Let's a talk about it. Founding and running a global division for Disney called Creative Entertainment, which I did. I was contacted by a search firm who asked if I wanted to come in and interview for that job when I was at La Jolla. And so I did, and I got the job, and I moved my family and my kids to L.A. That's where we met. And I was there for nine years. And um, without going into detail in public, I ended up on the wrong side of politics. And three weeks after I got the highest bonus of my career, I was fired. And when, and I was completely shocked, as was my entire team. And when I walked into my office and I told my team that I was fired, one of the producers burst into tears and said, I'm always going to say you had balls of steel. So I thought that was a great title for the book. I love it. I had a great run at Disney, and I am very happy I'm not there anymore. I got to travel all over the world. I had budgets, which I can't even fathom having today in the not-for-profit world. But I learned so much about life and the world and working in cultures like Japan and France and cultures like Disney. And then now I came back to what I truly love, which is the not-for-profit theater and making art. And so I feel uh, like I've had a, a wealth of experience that I've lived through that's I mean, who goes from running a site-specific avant-garde theater to running a regional theater to running a global division for Disney and then coming back again to New York to the not-for-profit theater? I mean, I think the the life's journey the of that as a woman and a mother and a wife, hopefully, I think, will be of interest and there'll be lessons learned which I can share. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good stories that are going to be in there. I want to ask you if you aren't violating a gag order or something like that. Um, I always think about politics. I'm always on the wrong side of politics. And I've actually just at this point in my life going, yeah, that's what I was born to do. I was born to be that thorn in the side, that person who goes, the emperor has no clothes on. Look at that elephant in the room. Just just talk about that, the woman being on the wrong side of politics. Well, I can't. I don't really want to go into details Absolutely. about just like talk about what it in happened. A metaphorical way, but I would say that it perfectly feeds into the "you can't say that" <laughs> <laughs> title. You can't say that. Okay. Okay. So, do you um, think it had to do with being a woman? 
Totally. Okay. okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. You know, it's interesting. I think one of the, uh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would say that at Disney, you know, I was brought in as an executive vice president. So if I hadn't have been brought in at that level by Michael Eisner, who I actually adored, I never would have been able to achieve what I achieved. Mm. But because I had the support of him, you know, the CEO and the chairman of theme parks and resorts at the time, so at the highest levels of the company, I was able to make change. Mm. And a couple of years after I was there, you know, and remember, I had no corporate experience. I started with an empty warehouse and a secretary. Mm. And I left with 30 people reporting to me, 1,500 indirect reports, and managing about $250 million worth of stuff around the world. I think that Yale management program might have had something well, to do I with it. Well, I wasn't actually managing the money myself. I was working with people who did. But you figured out how to find the right team. Well, yeah. And they fit. Yes. And one of the things I did that is actually something I – it's probably the only thing I really miss – I brought in like the smartest people I could find who were people from the theater world who could partner with me, dramaturgs and production executives. And we created a team. I had this creative team of 12 people. We were like a family. Mm. We lived and died together and they were really smart people. And I have never been kind of somebody who insists upon being looked up to because I'm in charge because mm -hmm. I think that's just uh, stupid, you know. So they would tell me I was wrong. We would fight. We would argue. We would laugh. And that was very valuable and wonderful. And I wish there was an environment in New York where people running institutions or, you know, independent companies could come together to really take one another into each other's confidence about shows they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like we're all competing for the same small piece of the pie that we don't do that. Um, so that's the one thing I missed. That was a really valuable experience for me. But I think, you know, it's funny. By the time I left Disney, I d I'm such a person who needs to see the next challenge, the next challenge, the next challenge. And... I was in charge of the stage shows on the cruise ships. I brought Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez to the Disney company. They created Finding Nemo as a musical, which was the first time Pixar had ever had one of their shows in the parks done as a musical. Um, Diane Paulus did a cruise ship show for me. I brought in amazing people into the Disney parks and Disney World. But after I did all that, I was like, what's next? You know, what's the next big challenge that's very exciting? And I really didn't see it mm. um, when I was there. So I felt kind of like, you know, like, oh, my God, can I really walk away from all this? And I think if I hadn't been fired, I, w I might not have had the nerve to leave. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, it, I mean, I hate to say everything happens for a reason because it doesn't. I don't believe that. Mm. But, um, but I think for me, I'm, I couldn't be happier than where I am now. I mean, the only way I'd be happier is if I had the Disney resources and could do what I'm doing now. But obviously, <laughs> that just doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe you're going to create that. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. What were those three questions? Who am I? What do I do? And what, how can I? Who am I? What's needed? And how can I make a difference? And so answer those for me right now. I'm a woman with 35 years 
producing experience and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've done right. And I feel, and I'm, as I said, I'm a mother and a wife, so I can, I'm a mentor um, and an example to others kind of coming up in the field. I feel like what's needed in the theater is invention and courage and bravery and commitment. At the same time, not letting those things get in the way of treating artists with respect. Um, I think I have a great deal of knowledge about how to move projects forward dramaturgically um, in a way that can benefit artists. And I feel like I understand how to give them enough space. Uh, I think I can be told I'm wrong. Um, I think I'm determined. Um, I think all that's needed. Um, and I think I can make a difference by continuing to do work that's important um, politically, socially, and artistically, like Fandango for Butterflies and Coyotes. So, yeah, that's who I am and what's needed and how I can make a difference. Awesome. Who's exciting you right now that you are going, yeah, they're doing it? <clears throat> oh, my God. Um, you know, I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It's a hard one. Mm. It's a hard one. Mm. It's a hard one. Yeah, who? Who? We put yeah. you on the spot. Who's exciting you? Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll leave it at that. You know, I haven't even talked to this person. I just sort of, this is kind of, I don't even think I should say her name because I, I was going to call her today. And I okay, okay. Before I call her. But I literally read this wonderful play yesterday and I was like the way this play needs to be performed is it needs to be performed on a bus because I read I have to read a lot of plays and I was just like this is so fantastic I mean I guess I could say her name I don't know if it'll ever happen Kate Benson mm. she wrote Porto mm. but I read it and I was like what should happen is there should be a bus parked in front of a Broadway theater the actors should get on the bus the audience should get on the bus the, the bus should drive, and it's so premature that I'm saying this, but it's, you can't say that. The bus should go to New Jersey Performing Arts Center in New Jersey. The actors should pile out of the bus, continue performing in the lobby, and get back on the bus. Everybody should drive back to New York City. And I'm like, this is exciting. I think you could sell that. I do, too. Because, you know, they say everybody wants experiences now, yeah, and yeah. then it's, like, very different than going to the theater yeah. and sitting for two yeah. hours because it's two hours now. Yeah. I, I, I think you need to pitch it and sell it. Yeah. It's interesting. I want to, before we wrap it up here, I want to say I had a meeting for a new play, and I right now just turn everything down because I'm always looking to, like, how, what's going to be exciting? What have I, if I've done it already, don't ask me to come do it again. Well, you can be on the bus. I might be on the bus. Um, and I went into this meeting and I was shining, shining, shining. And the people were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, you know, when people go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know you're not going to get the job. <laughs> and um, I said to them at the end, I said, so are you going to offer me this job? And the director went, well, it's a joint decision. And um, oh dear. And it was like, you know, I knew. But I left that meeting and I thought, that was one of the few times in my life where I've gone into a meeting and I felt that I was shining. A lot of times when I go to meetings, I always feel awkward and uncomfortable and like I 
just, like, I don't shine. And, um, and I don't get those either. But this was like, I want to shine and I want to work with people who want to be with me when I shine. And the piece is now over at um, uh, The Shed. It's called uh, Help. It's Claudia Rankin's new piece. And as soon as I left there, because I feel very much that the work I do is kind of, I'm a, I'm a receiver, I'm a vessel, like the divine is like flowing through me and I'm just allowing it. And when I left, um, one of the problems they said of the piece was it's uh, based on a series of interviews that Claudia Rankin did with a bunch of white men about what how they enjoyed their privilege. And they said they felt a little guilty about giving 20 white men jobs, you know. And, and so I left there and the solution for that came for me. And I was like, oh, well, they're not going to give me that job. And I'm so glad I didn't give them that solution because now that I know what the solution to their problem, I wouldn't even want to do the play if they weren't going to do the solution. So I saw the ad for it and it was like beautiful Roz Ruff, who's an amazing actress surrounded by 20 white men. And, you know, in my vision that came to me was you take the, since white men think of themselves as human neutral, you take a bunch of people of color and you put them in those white sumo suits and you have people of color in these neutral suits being white men of privilege. So they get to be human neutral. And that's how I wanted to do that play. <laughs> Tanya, you need to direct. <laughs> that is true. So, when, when, so who are you? What's needed? And how, how, do you, how can you make a difference? I uh, am a maker. I am, um, in my best, I'm an instrument for the 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 highest expression of all that there is to just use me to express. Um, what's needed is for more of us to pay attention to the reality that's here rather than the illusion in our devices and the illusions on our screens and the illusions in our heads and to actually see that no matter what it all looks like around us, it is all evolving towards higher levels of expression and goodness, no matter what it looks like. It is all moving towards something better. And I serve <clears throat> by um, being the person who says there's an elephant in the room and the emperor has no clothes, and by scaring people, by speaking the uncomfortable truths and be willing, being willing to take the hit for saying what people don't want to hear. <laughs> I t that sounds right to me. <laughs> well, on that note, on that note, thank you, Anne, thank you for so coming. Much. Do you like to be called Anne or Annie? Annie. So thank you, Annie, for coming. And my name is Tanya Pinkins, and you are listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins. This is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, music by Anthony Norman, available wherever you get your podcast. And visit me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and let me know what you'd like to hear me talk about. For more information, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.